it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Well, Adam, we got Drew Simber started off on the right foot. Oh, I like that, Drew Simber. I hadn't heard that. And as the gift that I've tweeted out a few times on Sunday will say, you might as well call this the Drew train. Drew, Drew! <laughs> I like it. I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, no, the excitement's there. I think uh, Broncos fans are excited, um, as, as well they should be. Uh, I will tell you, we we sort of talked about this a little bit before we started recording, and uh, I've seen a few people get super excited about how good he was, and and I'm all in on Drew Locke, and this is great, and he's he's going to be a great quarterback. And for me, I think maybe the last few years have have caused myself and and many others who I've also seen sort of feel this way to be a little more tempered in our excitement. Uh, I liken it to going to the the amusement park, and you can either get on the big big boy roller coaster and take the emotional ride the ups and downs and, and all the craziness and the twirls and the excitement and whatnot or you can go over to the kitty side and you can you can jump on the kitty ride and it goes up and down and it goes kind of quick but it's not it's not too much for you to handle i think right now i'm on the kitty ride i'm 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 excited i i like the way he looked i like the way the game played out but i'm not gonna 
I'm not going to go overboard yet. There's there's a lot of football left to be played. Can I give you reason to potentially go overboard? Sure. I, I love I love the opportunity. All right. Drew Locke's first career start. Two touchdowns, one interception, and 84 QBR. Patrick Mahomes. That Patrick Mahomes, the one where the media can't stop gorgling and choking on and whatever else it is they do. They slurp him up. That's what they do. Zero touchdowns, one interception, a 76 QBR. Yeah, Drew Locke, is, he's better than Patrick Mahomes. I think it's okay for us to say that at this Drew point. Drew Simber. <laughs> Drew, Drew. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I I mean, the thing, that, as I said in my winners and losers, and Drew Locke was a winner, obviously, because when you get a win in your first career start. That's a win, right? Pretty obvious. Yeah. But I, I think, as I said, the struggles are going to come because that, that happens with a rookie quarterback. The thing that should give everyone excitement is his confidence. And the, the perfect example of that is on the his first career touchdown pass to Cortland Sutton, where Cortland Sutton made an incredible one-handed catch. But don't underestimate that throw. Drew Locke put that in a perfect spot for Cortland Sutton to catch it. But the thing that shows you his confidence is as Cortland Sutton told the media after the game, that wasn't the play called into the huddle. Drew Locke changed it in the huddle and told Cortland Sutton to go run a go route. And Sutton smiled and said, okay, bet. Yeah. So I love... I love the poise that he played with. He played with poise. He didn't he didn't do too much. He didn't try to do too much. The other thing that I liked is he went through his progressions. You could see he kept his head up and he was going through the progressions with his, his eyes. And if it wasn't there, he threw the check down. Now he still had his rookie moments. That interception was a clear rookie moment where he thought he was going to be able to get that ball in and clearly didn't see the defender. But there weren't that many rookie mistakes. I thought we were going to see more rookie mistakes. And he didn't show them. And so while you want to have the tempered excitement, what I think that he showed is he he showed he should be there. He showed that he can do it, that he belongs. And I think the thing that will, will help him is that confidence, but also the fact that he wants to be great. And he knows the only way to be great is you have to put in the work and you have to continue to work and you have to continue to strive to get better. And I think that's what Drew Locke has going for him. And I think that's something that you can get excited about. And I I just, I, I'm, for the first time in a couple of seasons, I'm actually excited about Drew Locke because that combination of Drew Locke to Cortland Sutton Hopefully that's something that we hear for the next decade. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. In fact, I, I, I will say this. and When you talk about Drew Locke and, and the excitement that goes with him, the, the thing that really caught my eye with him in this game and then to see him in his interviews and the, and the way that he comports himself within, you know, within the huddle and then, and then the way he speaks with the media and the way that he presents himself, uh, the, the one thing I will tell you that, that – I really do take away from 
his first start is that he looks like he belongs. You know, there there are sometimes there are guys that that get out there and and the game is just not it's it's not at their speed. It's too fast. It's too hard. It's too too it's just a little too much. And you see that with guys who, you know, sometimes they come from a smaller college and then the game just is is too big for them or they come from a big college but they just weren't really ready for the NFL and the game is too big for them. I, I did not get that that sense from Drew Locke in this game. I didn't feel like he was I, I, I didn't feel like he was too small for the moment, but I also didn't feel like the, and, and the moment wasn't too big for him. He he looked like he belonged on the field. You mentioned Cortland Sutton. I, I have to point this out, and I don't know if anybody saw this or or if anybody really caught it, but in one of the replays of the uh Cortland Sutton one-handed touchdown catch, which was I think maybe the best catch of the year, uh, and, and I'm including that with his his catch in, uh, against the Browns. I mean, Cortland Sutton's had some pretty amazing catches. This catch, the, the shot was from the side, and as he's catching the ball, in the background there's a, a gentleman raising his hands. He's got on a brown coat, and he's got his hands up in the air, and if you didn't look closely enough, you didn't catch it, it was Rod Smith. Rod Smith was standing right there when Cortland Sutton made that catch. To me, I kind of love those kinds of moments. That's a moment there where a Drew Lock to Cortland Sutton touchdown that looked like that's the type of play that Rod Smith would make. I always remember joking about Rod Smith would drop the easy balls and then he would make a catch that just looked impossible. That's kind of what that was, only I haven't seen Cortland Sutton drop an easy ball recently. That was great. So to watch him sort of celebrate that touchdown right there was kind of a cool moment. I don't know if anybody else caught that, but I thought that was pretty cool. I think Deshaun Hamilton is making up for the drops by Cortland Sutton, but we can we can get into that later. He and Tim Patrick both had drops that were a little bit frustrating. Tim Patrick's is a little more forgivable, I guess, but oh my, yeah, let's let's save that for later. The thing that also impressed me about Drew Locke is his arm. I I mean I, I you saw it at Missouri and you could see it over the course of the Senior Bowl, but man, that arm, if he can get. The touch that he had, especially like he had on that first touchdown pass, even that second touchdown pass. Yeah, absolutely. The second touchdown a, pass was a good pass. I I mean, yes, there's going to be struggles. And I, I think what will help is an offensive coordinator who has helped develop younger quarterbacks. When he was with the 49ers, T.C. McCartney was there too. So Rich Scangarello was there with T.C. McCartney. And I think Vic Fangio will help because Vic Fangio is a guy who will demand that you get better. I mean, I I thought his answer after the game was great. He was fine. I mean, that's too high, right? That's such a a perfect Vic Fangio answer. He was was fine. (laughs) I like it. I, that's what that's what I want to hear from Vic Fangio from the podium. I, I want I want him to come out and go, yeah, he was all right. It was it was a game. He he threw the football. That's what happened. Like it's just so he's so matter of fact with those things, but not in a condescending way, but more just like, yeah, he was he was okay. He you could you saw it. I love it. He always says you saw it. You could see. You got eyes. You don't need me to tell you. It's like well, what are we doing here, Vic? Is, you're supposed to. Tell us what you saw. All right, that's fine. Vic Fangio, he said we saw it. We saw it. We'll just tell you what we saw. One of the best things to happen after the game, aside from Portland Sutton telling everybody that Drew Locke changed the play on that first touchdown, is the nickname that I hope sticks for Cortland Sutton, and that came from Chris Harris Jr., and he called him Mini Megatron. 
Mini Megatron. Oh. Could you be could he have been Mega Megatron? Like how does that work? He's I know he's not as big as, as Charles Johnson. I, I, I definitely understand that. But uh Calvin Johnson? It's been so long since Megatron's been gone that you know you almost forget his name and then you remember and you go, Oh yeah, that's right, that's Calvin Johnson and oh my gosh. So uh yeah. No, uh mini Megatron. Mini I don't know. Do you want to be mini something though? I think if you're mini Megatron, I think so because Calvin Johnson was one of the best receivers of the last twenty five years. He's just just one of the best ever, really. If you want to, you know, he he walked away a la Barry Sanders before he broke all the records that he really probably could have broken. He was that good. I, I agree with you well, on that. The only problem is he played in Detroit. Yeah, but he and Matt Stafford had a pretty nice connection. I'll bet Matt Stafford misses him every Sunday. The other thing that we have to give credit to is that offensive line because they did not give up a sack and they were going against a pass rushing duo of Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. Yeah. Any offensive line that does that, especially a Broncos offensive line with Garrett Bowles and Elijah Wilkinson as the tackles, you deserve a major tip of the cap because that, that that's a great performance. And uh, I think a, a, a small part of it, a part of it comes from Drew Locke and the way that he was able to get out of the pocket. He didn't hold the ball that long at all, which is another thing that I think impressed me was how quickly he was able to get rid of the ball when he was under pressure. It was decisive. But the offensive line, kudos. Yeah, you know, I, I think the other part of, of Drew Locke sort of being back there was he was – Again, he was more mobile, right? A little more mobility. Not necessarily more mobile than Brandon Allen, although Brandon Allen did. I think I saw somewhere that uh, he he took three sacks a game, which is uh, a little bit less than what Joe Flacco had done. Um, And so it was that combination of mobility and quickness as far as getting rid of the football. Whereas Brandon Allen was mobile, he wasn't quick getting rid of the football. And Joe Flacco wasn't mobile, but he was also not quick at getting rid of the football. He was just terrible. Um, unnecessary shot at Joe, I'm sorry. but He was not elite. He was not elite. But that that being said, the combination that Drew Locke had out there, he was, he was able to avoid the rush when necessary and he was able to get the ball out quickly when necessary. And and that, to me, is something that is really important to, to be able to do that. I, I thought that it was a, a a good start. It was a good start to what could potentially be a very good career. And if you are uh, anything like me, that's what you're hoping for. You're hoping for the Broncos to have found their quarterback of the future and be able to go into next season, because that's really all they're playing for at this point, with an idea of what they have in their young quarterback. And by the end of this season, you're not going to know everything about Drew Locke, but this is a good start. This is a good step towards understanding what his potential really is and whether or not he really fits in the NFL. And and I think that what we saw in this game against the Chargers in his very first start is that if there is nothing else you found out about him, it's that he he belongs. He looks like a guy who belongs in the NFL. The thing that I love the most about the end, aside from the aggressive play call to to just chuck it up to Cortland Sutton and get the pass interference call, is seeing Philip Rivers whining on the sideline. <laughs> that is always nice. 
It's always fun to watch Philip Rivers whine. Let's, you know what though? Let's talk about that final decision because we talked about that before we started recording, and I think it's something that's important uh, to not just this game, but sort of the development of the coaching staff. I, I think that's something that's maybe a little underrated in what we've been paying attention to. We, and by we, I mean you and I, are a fan of Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio is somebody who we like as the head coach. But I also think that as as happy as we are with some of the things that have happened, there's going to be some growing pains with this coaching staff. And I think that we experienced something similar to that in watching this game against the Chargers. Some of those growing pains on the offensive side of the football uh, with Rich Scangarello, who you actually have listed in your winners and losers as a loser. And it's because of, uh, mainly because of the conservative play calling from the second quarter until that final pass to Cortland Sutton that drew the pass interference from Casey Hayward. It's just, he did his quarterback no favors with the way that he called the game after that first quarter. And it's not the first time he's done it. He did it with Joe Flacco and he's done it with Brandon Allen. So at least he's consistent when he does it with his with his third quarterback playing for him this season. But the reason that – I mean, the other reason that he's a loser is because uh, – for the winners and losers, not that he's Well, they won the game. Loser. <laughs> but the reason that he's on the losers list, I think is the better way to say it, is because he wanted to take a knee. And thankfully, Vic Fangio overruled him and said, no, let's go for it. And you'll you'll bring up a great point about how you want that disagreement. But the thing that it that it just brings up after hearing you talk about it before we started recording, and fans will get that when they hear it, is man, I wish John Fox would have done that. Yeah, no, I, I let's start there with simply saying, we wish that in 2012, John Fox had said, no, we're going to go for it uh, instead of taking a knee. But but one of the things that, and just to kind of bring this back to today and, and, and the game that we watched against the Chargers, the, the idea of taking a knee there isn't the wrong idea statistically. And I, I, I do not remember where... Uh, I saw this, and I, I I would love to see somebody look it up, and maybe maybe somebody can issue me a correction on this. But the idea of playing a football game, when you're tied at the end of a game, when you're the home team, you play for overtime because you have an advantage of being the home team, and the home team has an advantage in overtime. And whatever slight advantage it is, it's still an advantage. Whereas if you are the visiting team and it's tied, uh, you go for the win, because you know that the the home team has the advantage in overtime and you want to get the game done as soon as possible. That's your goal. And so one of the things that I, I, I didn't mind, and I would love to see Scangarello be more aggressive. I'm with you on that. But I didn't mind that the offensive coordinator said, hey, this is the smart play, right? This is this is the smart way to do this. We we could be aggressive here if we wanted to, but but statistics show that, or uh, you know, basic understanding of football says that this is the smart play in this situation. We take a knee and we go on into to uh, overtime because there's so many variables that all of these things could happen, right? That's that's the smart play. And then the head coach's job is to is to take that advice, take that information, 
And then if he feels it's necessary to overrule that and say, no, we're going to go for it. That's that to me is exactly how that should have played out. To me, what should have happened was Scangarello said, let's, Hey, smart, smart move. Here's take an E let's take an E Fangio says, yeah, that's the smart play, but I want to go for it. What do we have to lose? Okay, let's go for it. They go for it and it works out and it's great. The only problem I have, I think, with this is that uh, Fangio kind of called Scangarello out for it. I don't know if he called him out for it, but he sort of took took the, the credit for it. That's He maybe could have said nothing there and just said, yeah, you know, we decided to go for it there, but, which would have been just fine as well. But the, the point I'm making here is Scangarello had a rough game. Too conservative, way too many screens. If I see another, I'll probably have nightmares about screen plays tonight while I'm sleeping. You know, too too many screens. I tweeted it out earlier. If I never see another screen play, it'll be too soon. At least we didn't do the end around run to Noah Fan. Oh yeah, <laughs> the little short shovel pass thing that you do to the, the guy. Yeah, just just let's just throw the ball to Noah Fan downfield. That's where he belongs. But yeah, it, it to me was the right way to to make that call. The right way to make that call was to go, you know what, smart play here is to is to down the ball. Okay, I've heard you. This is what I want to do anyway. I think we can go win the game. Let's go win the game. Boom, it happens. And then they won the game. So it worked out very well for them. That's that's how it works, right? That's how, that, that's how a, a good head coach would operate there. So that makes me feel good about some of those growing pains that this coaching staff is going through. Now we just need to get uh, Scangarello to just be just a, just a little bit more aggressive. The other way that we saw growing pains and going through a learning moment was the clock management and game management toward the end of the first half. That was that was like an that was an Andy Reid esque moment to the end of the first half. Yeah, it, it was good. it was not pretty, and that that's something that's been an issue I think for Vic Fangio and this coaching staff is is game and clock management when it comes to the end of the first half. So that's something to keep an eye on over the, the the remaining four games of the season to see if they're able to start to get better in those situations because they have not been good. And I, I do agree with you that you do want to have that disagreement and you want to see the head coach just go with his gut because that's what a head coach is supposed to do. That's what he did on that two-point conversion against the Chicago Bears. Exactly. I, I have a feeling that uh, Scangarello probably didn't want to do that either. I think the thing that I think we're seeing with, with Scangarello is I think he's a little punch drunk. I, I think – you're seeing a guy in his first time as an offensive coordinator. He he doesn't want he doesn't want to go crazy. I think he's trying to he's trying to stay within himself, right? While okay. also learning, and I think because it's just it's perplexing to me to to see a guy who's learned under Kyle Shanahan be this timid. I think that's a better word than punch drunk. I mean, yeah. maybe they're the same way. Well, it, timid is timid is maybe even a little more disparaging. Timid is it, when you're timid, it means you're shy and you're afraid. And but I but I think that's the right description. So I, I think once he's able to get all of this, his first season under the under his belt, and I think one way that it's going to help him is Drew Locke. Because now he's going to have a quarterback that he can just sit down with and they can go through the game plan. They can put forth what's best for him and best for the offense. And they can talk to each other. 
And hopefully that's something that they're able to develop over the next four games, which is another reason why it's so important that he played this game because now it gives them four more heading into the offseason where they're able to work with each other. They're able to build on it. They're able to get a rapport started. They're able to get a relationship started. So that that's something to keep an eye on is hopefully this timidness or punch drunkenness that has been Rich Scangarello this season starts to to loosen up a little bit now that he has a quarterback that he can hopefully start to trust. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. All right, a uh, couple couple things I, I do want to get to. Um, 19, over 19,000 uh, ticket holders chose not to go to this game. Uh, was that the right move or the wrong move? I I don't like no-shows because you still gave the Broncos your money anyway. So it, it's not like you're really showing or proving anything because well, they got your money. That's all they want in the end anyway. Right, that's fair. I, I will say this, and this is something that, that I think is also important. The visual of an empty stadium is embarrassing for a franchise. And for the Denver Broncos, that's one of those things that we have always, as fans, done. We've always shown up. And that's something you can rely on. And when they don't play well and people don't show up, that visually, that visual sort of um, that 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 moment when you look at the stands and you go, nobody's here. I hope that the the Broncos understand that what that means is the 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 Denver Broncos fan base is aware that they deserve better than the product that has been put on the field over the last few years, and things need to start to change. And so I don't have a problem with. 19,000 people choosing to stay home to sort of send that message. I get your point about the money and everything, but I, I sort of liken it to the fact that um, if you if you had lived in Chicago and were a Cubs fan, the Wrigley Field sold out every day, no matter what. It was always sold out. And then over the last few years before they won that World Series in 2016, Wrigley Field stopped selling out until they started putting a better product on the field. And so the – and so – the Cubs realized they needed to make some changes. I, I think that that's what happens here with the Denver Broncos as well. You're going to have to adjust. You can't keep putting garbage on the field. We're not going to show up for that anymore. And so that to me is good. I like the message that it sends. I don't like it that it, it from your standpoint as well, I don't like the idea, well, they've already got your money, so they don't care. I hope that's not what they think. I hope that when the ownership group or the trust or whoever the heck it is that's in charge who cares – sees that they realize that this is the only way that the fans can really send a message here. So it's kind of a, a, a slightly different take from that, but I, I do think that that was in a weird way, kind of a good thing. How much of it played into the fact that as Vic Fangio said, they played silly games by not just announcing drew Locke. Oh, I absolutely. It, it, I think that played a huge part in it. If, if you had said on uh Tuesday, Hey, drew locks our starter then more people would have said, oh, I want to go to his first game, and they would have shown up for his first game. But I think that even still, you would have had, what, four, maybe 5,000 more people show up, so now you're looking at uh, you know, 14,000 no-shows, 13,000 no-shows. That's still a lot in Denver. Uh, anything over five or 6,000 is, is, to me, insane. So uh, I still think the message is sent. Hopefully it's heard uh, and, and seen. I think that that's probably part of it. But you're right. Playing the silly game stuff was that was dumb. What I really like about this game is Alexander Johnson flashing again. 
because one thing that you've heard some people say about Johnson is that he's not great in coverage. Hunter Henry had two catches on Sunday. Yeah, just two. Just two. That for for those wondering, Hunter Henry is a very good a very good tight end. Solid and tight the Broncos, end. The Broncos don't cover tight ends well. I don't remember the last time with a, a tight end like that. He was held to two catches. Yeah, I can't I can't think of a of a time that it's ever happened in my life where they were able to cover the tight end. So that was a good thing. I would agree with that. The other thing we'd be remiss in sh- in talking about is uh Derek Wolf. Uh seventh sack of the season, which is his new career high, but also dislocated elbow, it sounds like. Um and could be could be done for the season. I would I would venture a guess that, that means he is done for the season. That's a pretty rough injury. And could be done with the Broncos. Uh, and then and that could be the end of his career with the Denver Broncos, which would be too bad uh for that to be the way that it ends. But but he did he did get that seventh sack, which is which is huge for him. Uh and and a little kudos to him for getting his career high in sacks uh this season. The thing that was impressive about Derek Wolf is he was all over the field. He yeah. didn't just have two sacks. He had five tackles, he had two tackles for loss, and he had three quarterback hits. He was all over the field on Sunday. Played and one of his best games. Anytime you can hit Phillip Rivers as much as Derek Wolf did, <laughs> yeah, that's I, a good thing. I agree. Uh, and then one more thing that I think we should talk about is uh, Brandon McManus. McManus had a good game. Would you agree with that? I mean, he kicked the game winner. He, uh, he, he didn't miss a single field goal, which is impressive considering – but also, yeah, considering the last time that he he could have kicked a game-winning field goal, he missed. Yeah, that, so there's that. But also a little bit, um, uh, a little bit testy at the end of the game there, and, and at the end of the half, at the end of the first half, he was a little bit, a little bit angry about not being allowed to kick a field goal, a 65-yard field goal, which is a long way to kick a football. And uh, you, I, I really hadn't thought of it in the way that you presented it until you presented it to me before we started recording. I kind of was. I liked the competitiveness of him wanting to kick a 65 yarder and go for the, the record and, and, and get those points and whatnot. But then also uh, just kind of your, your take was a, a little bit different. And I, I think we should hear about it. It was incredibly selfish. It was all about him. It was not about the Broncos at all. It was not what was best for the Broncos. It was not what was best for the team. It was what was best for Brandon McManus. It was all about him. It was all about him getting his name in the record book. That's all that mattered. It had nothing to do with what was the best for the team. Because if it was if it was the best for the team, Vic Fangio did that. I don't want him kicking a 65-yard field goal. He can't kick 45-yard field goals consistently. And the last thing that you want to do at the end of a half is kick a 65-yard field goal because you want to get your kicker confidence that he can do it, and then he shanks it, and it gets returned for a touchdown. Now, I get it. They were 3-8. and eight. The game doesn't matter anyway. But it's about learning how to do things the right way. And at no point is it a good idea to kick a 65-yard field goal. I don't care if you're... Eight and three. I don't care if you're three and eight. No, I, I think you're right. I think um, the one thing that you can take away from it, which I think is important, is that uh, again, this was a moment when Vic Fangio sort of said, uh, "No, we're going to do it this way." We're, we're he he 
he had to change his mind a couple of times. You could tell there was some indecision there about what he wanted to do. But eventually he came to a decision. He made his final decision, and that was it. And it doesn't matter how upset Brandon McManus was. And, uh, you know, he had a nice line in his uh, presser at the end of the game uh, where somebody had said that, you know, gave him the quote from Vic Fangio that he didn't want it messing with his mechanics. And he said, well, does it change? Uh, does uh, a Hail Mary ruin the mechanics of a, a quarterback? No, but that's kind of different. Um, you know, quarterbacks don't throw in the same exact way every time anyway, whereas a kicker you want to that consistency, I would assume. So, you know, I, I did think it was interesting to have him be uh, a, a little bit pissy about things at the end of the game. And you're right. If it's if it's all about getting your name, as he said, etched in the record books, and that was all it was, you're doing it wrong at that point. Like, you're 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 it's a team game, and you're doing it wrong if that's what you're thinking about there. And I think that the other thing that it does is Vic Fangio not allowing him to kick it motivated him to make the 53-yarder to win the game. Hmm. Almost like a, a little psych, a psychological play there. Not that he would have known that it would have mattered at the end, but still, probably probably a little psychological play there. So, But hey, Broncos win. And Drew Sember got started on the right track. Drew, Drew! You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.